G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. It might feel uncommon for a white person to experience that, but for others it's absolutely common. And I got to walk in the shoes of, you know, this experience allowed me to walk in the shoes of other minorities who might experience this on a, on a daily basis. So the reality is that racism continues to rear its ugly head and it's not pleasant to experience. It's decidedly unpleasant. The Story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, recently, Pastor David Shaw did something that's pretty common these days. He posted a photo of his family on social media. But then he got a surprising negative reaction. You see, David was born in the UK and raised in Perth. His wife, Becky, is from South Korea, and together they have three beautiful mixed-race children. So when David posted a photo of his family online, a handful of people from overseas who are complete strangers to him accused him of destroying his bloodline, and one of them even said they wanted Hitler to return soon. Pretty shocking stuff in this day and age. David responded by sharing about his family members and how God is using each of them. And that's what we're going to hear about today as David shares his story and about each member of his family. David Shaw is chatting with Eric Scadabo. David Shaw, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Eric. It's good to be here. Glad to have you on and you're joining us from Perth, is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's where you are, a pastor there in Perth. And first of all, I just want to say how sorry I am to hear about these online comments, these racist online comments. In this day and age, you would think that that kind of thinking wasn't around, but unfortunately it is in some circles. And as you and I have spoken before, we have something in common. Our children are mixed race, and also we have wives from a different nationality than we are. So I can relate to what you went through. And it's just horrific to hear about online racist comments these days. Yeah, it, it came as a bit of a, an unfortunate surprise, um, made for um, an interesting week or so. Thankfully, it's died down now. So, About how many comments did you get? The notifications were coming in 20 or 30 an hour, which is unusual for me. I, I'm a bit of a nobody. <laughs> and I gained about 100 more followers in the space of 24 hours, which is uh, also an uncommon thing for me. <laughs> so. It kind, of, it kind of blew up. Yeah, yeah. So among the comments, there was a handful of negative racist comments, but then a lot yeah. of people were sympathetic to you as well? Oh, there were some amazing people, um, very supportive, and yeah, it was great. The good outweighed the bad in that regard. Oh, that's good. That's good. I really liked how you responded to the racist comments. Uh, you posted back, my family and I are made in the image of God, loved by him, blessed to be a blessing to the people and places to which he has called us. And then you went on to tell a little bit about each of your family members. So you kind of yeah. met the hate and the racism with love and God's word. Yeah, I suppose the, the, the language that was used in response to the picture was quite dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to humanize them again. I wanted to give people a feel for hey, the, these are real people. These are, like, like you say, made in the image and mm-hmm. likeness of God. Um, they have 
idiosyncrasies, personality traits, loves, fears. And I just wanted to bring that human side to the fore and to to sort of push back and say, hey, that that that's not how this ought to be. These are real people. These are family. Yeah. They are they are sons and daughters. They are flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, flesh yeah. and blood. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's harder for people to hate and be divisive when they know something about the people. So you humanized your family members, which we're going to do during the course of this conversation. But I think one of the things that shocked me about it is that when you think of racism, you think about, you know, Hitler, it's one of the racist comments even mentioned, you know, you think about that's back in the 40s, that was the Holocaust, that was, you know, all that thinking of certain races are better than other races, and that we can't have them intermingle, because then you're going to dilute them and all this kind of, uh, you know, backwards thinking. How did you respond to that? Were you pretty shocked as well? Uh, yes and no. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't pleasant. And the reality is that there are other groups of people who deal with this on a much more regular basis than mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. You know, um, I got to walk in the shoes of, you know, this experience allowed me to walk in the shoes of other minorities who might experience this on a, on a daily basis. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I in no way claim to be an expert uh, mm-hmm. in that regard, yeah. um, but it's a somewhat frightening and enlightening experience to be on the receiving end. And yeah, it, it just gives, I, I suppose there's greater, having been on the receiving end, I ought to have greater empathy for those who experience this on the daily. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, it might feel uncommon for a white person to experience that, mm-hmm. but for others, it's, absolutely common and you know whether it's the 1940s or whether it's today um the reality is that racism continues to rear its ugly head and it's not pleasant to experience yeah it's decidedly unpleasant yeah now you are a pastor and we're going to get to your story in just a moment but i was just thinking if you encountered somebody in person maybe they came into your church and they said you know i i'm kind of sympathetic to that view that you know different people of different races they, they shouldn't intermingle like that that's diluting the bloodline or whatever they're saying mm-hmm. as a christian how would you respond even though you <laughs> like like every fiber of your being would probably be offended but how would you lovingly respond as a pastor um i suppose the the first thing you'd want to do is ask wh- where do they get that Mm, yeah. on, on, on what grounds are they making that claim? Um, and oftentimes there's usually a story underneath the question. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd actually want to get to know the story before responding in kind, but certainly purely from a theological perspective mm-hmm. um, to understand that from Genesis, it's clear that humanity is made in the image of God. Amen. And that is what unites us within the Old Testament. You have examples of mixed race marriages. Uh, You can think of, say, Moses and Keturah. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can think of Boaz and Ruth. There's a couple of examples there. And as you move into the New Testament, you get Paul talking in Ephesians 2 about the dividing wall of hostility being broken down Mm -hmm. between Jews and Gentiles. Um, One of my favorite passages comes from 1 Peter, which I did quite a bit of research on, where Peter talks about the church as being a chosen race mm-hmm. and a royal priesthood and a yeah, holy nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the summary, the climax of that is that you are a people belonging to God. And in the context, he's talking to people from 
Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And these are not people who would have considered themselves a singular entity, that they would have had different languages. They mm -hmm. would have had, um, you know, Greek, Greek would have been a common language among them, but they would have had native languages. They would have... Different cultures? Different cultures, mm -hmm. like with probably some overlap, but certainly mm -hmm. differences. And Peter can say to them, you together are a single chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation that what defines you is less your geography than your in Christness, that you yeah. belong to God. And it's um, the spiritual dimension reigns supreme. Yeah, it, it mm -hmm. sort of it, it's that umbrella under which we all stand and Christ you you know unites us and you know Paul elsewhere talks about no Jew nor Gentile or Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the emphasis there being that God saves all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and mm -hmm. brings them into a singular people under his lordship. Amen. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's going to be all kinds of people from all kinds of nationalities and races all praising mm -hmm. the Lord together. And the other verse that I love that I'd like to add in there, quite simply, is the Bible says that man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And that mm -hmm. pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I think that you know, this side of Pentecost, if you like, that, that you look at the heart, and if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And what sets God's family apart, if you like, is not where they are from or the the color of their skin, but mm -hmm. that they have that that the marker, if I can use that expression, uh, is the spirit. Amen. Yeah, yeah. It's the spirit. Um, that's what's most important. And yeah, that 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 that's a game changer. Yeah. So when you met Becky, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here in your story, but obviously, I'm assuming. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were attracted to her love of the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we 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 met in a seminary and um, took about the better part of eighteen months to get our act together. But yeah, it was absolute her character, her love of the Lord. Um, okay, uh, well, we'll get uh, to a bit of the love we'll story that later. In, in a bit. Let's yeah. backtrack to you and your story. Born in the UK, mm -hmm. what year was that? Uh, Nineteen eighty. Um, born in the UK, Nottingham, and um, there's quite a. It's a complicated history, so. Um, yeah, my, my birth mother died when I was just before my fourth birthday. And uh, so my father at that point was a widower with mm -hmm. three children under the age of four. Oh, so wow. I had a brother uh, about two years younger than me, had a sister who was barely three or four months old when my mother passed. And uh, a couple of years later, he met another woman who is now my mum. Mm -hmm. And her first husband died. So she was a widow. And uh, he died when she was pregnant with their first child. And so they met, they had this similar trauma, I suppose you might say. Yeah. yeah. And that brought them together. And um, they decided they wanted a clean slate and a fresh start. And they wanted, to, I think, to my mind at least, I don't know if they would put it this way, but I think they wanted to leave death and darkness and gray skies mm -hmm. behind. <laughs> um, lots of gray skies in the UK. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for those familiar with Australian soap operas, uh, my mum and dad fancied it a little bit of the Ramsey Street lifestyle uh, from Neighbours. Oh, so so they were watching, in the UK, they were watching the soap opera Neighbours, 
and wanted a better that's job. Right. That's yeah. what, okay, in their they mind, that that's Australia. Stuff. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so uh, in 1988, we made the move to Perth as a family mm-hmm. of uh, six, myself, my brother and sister and my stepsister, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, she's my sister. Um, and then they had another child once they got to Australia. So that's my youngest brother. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Pastor David Shaw, who's sharing his life journey and about how he responded to racist comments he received after he posted a photo of his mixed-race family online. We'll hear more of David's story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Pastor David Shaw from Perth, who's sharing his life journey and about how he responded to racist comments he received after he posted a photo of his mixed-race family online. Before the break, he told us about growing up in the UK and how his parents decided to move to Australia when he was just eight years old. Now, we'll hear what happened next in David's life as he continues his chat with Eric Scadabo. And was church a part of your experience growing up? Not really. Um, I had been involved in a boys' brigade in the UK. Uh, boys' brigade is sort of like a Christian version of the Scouts, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But that was as far as it ever went. Um, my family christened me Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. but I don't have any memories of ever going to church on a regular basis uh, growing up. So okay. it was all very, it was sort of, you know, to be born in the UK was to be, you know, born a Christian, as it were. Um, and then we moved to Australia in 1988, and Perth has been basically home since then. Except for yeah. a side trip to Seoul, South Korea, and then eventually yeah, okay. back to UK. So, but we'll, 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 we'll get to that yeah. eventually. But how yeah. did you eventually become a Christian then, if you came from a pretty nominal Christian background? Um, I just ended up in a u- local church youth group uh, with a bunch of friends from school, and for a couple of years, I heard the gospel on a weekly basis and it began to make sense. And I began, and you know, I, I don't know exactly what it was that was compelling at the time about it, but I do remember that you had these young adults in their mid twenties, mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties were giving up their Friday nights when they could have been boozing it up at the local Hmm. tavern. And they were just spending time with teenagers and playing games with them and having a lark and sharing the gospel. And I began to see a bit of beauty in the truth that they like that the, the, the lives that they were living in the message that was being proclaimed online. And it was something quite beautiful mm-hmm. and compelling. And then eventually you put your faith in Jesus. Yeah. So a friend at the time, um, he had one of those gospel tracts. I think it was a bridge to life. And he just sort of shared that with me. And he's like, you know, you've been hearing this for a couple of years now. Is it, do you believe this? Like, is this something you want to stake your life on and i was like yeah yeah i think i do and that was it and then we prayed together and that was it and how old were you at that time uh 14 15 i think yeah 14 getting closer to 15 would have been 1994 
Now, at that time, did you have any idea, any calling that you'd eventually be a pastor? And- uh, not immediately. Perhaps the first, like, look, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But yeah. looking back, um, there might have been clues there. So when I first became a Christian, as it were, my mum and dad weren't pleased. They thought oh, really? I already was a Christian. Yeah, well, they thought I already was a Christian. Oh, okay. And that I might have joined a cult. Oh, really? Um, but yeah. they were they were quite happy for you to go to this youth group. They were happy for me to go to the youth group, but they weren't happy for me to go to church on Sundays. Um, what did they think? It was just kind of a, a social thing for Christian boys, but don't get too carried away with it. Is that kind of their attitude? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> they, they never really thought to articulate it to me. Um, but uh, my pastor at the time was really great. He just said, look, just honor your parents. Yeah. Like, we'll mm-hmm. see you on Sundays eventually, but don't go behind their back. Honor them, love mm-hmm. them, and, and that sort of thing. But the interesting thing was that uh, they let me help out of the kids club on a Tuesday afternoon, which is to say I was in a form of ministry before I was allowed to go to church. Huh. Well, that's interesting. And that might have been the first hint that ministry might have been on the agenda. So a seed was planted. A seed was planted, you might say that. Yeah. Um, and then after a few years, I left that church. Um, there weren't many people there my age anymore. There was like a massive gap between me as a 17, 18-year-old and then a group of young adults who were all getting married and beginning to have kids and mm. felt like I was in no man's land, so ended up at another church. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a Baptist church, mm-hmm. Riverton Baptist, mm-hmm. and it was a great church. Loved that church to, the, to this day. And um, I had the opportunity while I was there to become a sort of like a, a youth pastoral intern as such mm-hmm. and got to go on a mission trip to Africa. And that was probably where that call became quite pronounced, if you like, towards ministry. Um, before the, the mission trip to Malawi, um, I was asked to preach at our commissioning service. Mm-hmm. And um, after the service, a person came up to me, uh, a, a gentleman. I, I, I don't know his name. That was the only time I've met him or encountered him, to the mm-hmm. best of my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen him before or since. But he said, thanks for that message, Dave. I have a word from the Lord for you. Which is, that's a rare thing in a Baptist church. That's not normally how Baptists roll. Yeah, that sounds uh, <laughs> a little bit more Pentecostal. Yeah. And so um, I'm like, okay, well, you have this word from the Lord, I'm listening. And he just opened the Bible and he quoted from Second Timothy chapter 4, mm-hmm. uh, preach the word in season and out of season, do the work of an evangelist. And so he went through those four or five verses. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. That's fine. Thanks. You know, appreciate it enjoyed the rest of the night and went about mingling with my friends and people after the service. And then one of the deacons from our church came up to me, uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes later. And she's like, thanks for that message, Dave. I have a word from the Lord for you. Oh, really? Two people. Really? Two people. And she opened up the Bible and she quoted the exact same passage. So I'm like, in my head, I'm freaking out a little bit. And I'm like, great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. Um, I'm getting the message, Lord. Yeah, hoping not to get the message, to be honest. Oh, uh, really? Or you didn't want to be a pastor? Not at that time, no. I mean, like, the seed had been planted, but I was quite happy pursuing physical and health education, um, which is what I was doing at the time. I was in uni studying to be a physical and health education teacher. Oh, so you were going to be a PE teacher originally? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then a week later, we were at the airport, uh, the mission team were at the airport getting on a plane. And before we went through customs, uh, the youth pastor at the church, a gal called Mim, who still friends with her to this day, 
um, she'd get, done a handwritten note for everyone going on the trip. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Here's yours, Ben. Here's yours, Greg, whatever. Dave, here's yours. Um, cool. Thanks. She's like, just open it when you get on the plane. And uh, I took a sneak peek before getting on the plane. And she, she'd written the same verses that oh, had been wow. quoted to me the week before. And uh, so 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word in season and out of season and that sort of thing. So three times through God's people, uh, God brought that word to me. Yeah. And uh, I shared that with a missionary in Malawi. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, run for your life. What? <laughs> what, what did he mean he, by that? Well, he, he's kind of like, pull it. He, not so much pull a Jonah, um, although that could be implied, like just get away. From, I think his, his point, uh, his name's, his name's uh, Ross, um, really good man, uh, Ross Britzer. And uh, he basically said, look, just because the Lord is calling you to this doesn't mean he's calling you to start tomorrow. You're 21 years old. You're in the middle of a degree. You've got a lot of growing up to do. You've got a lot of things to learn. And if it's really of the Lord, it'll still happen. Oh. You've got nothing to worry about. Yeah, those but are he, good points. They're really good points. Yeah. It, it wasn't a case of the Lord has called you, drop everything, go. Yeah. It was God has still called you to stuff today. You still have to be faithful to the stuff that God has called you to today. Finish your phys ed degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go teach for a bit. Do You know, don't rush it, mm-hmm. and God will make it clear when it's time. Yeah, right. If this is a true calling from the Lord to enter into full-time ministry, mm. it's not going to go anywhere. That that calling is going to be there. Yeah. That was wise advice that you got there. It was man, yeah, it was huge. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and it sort of, it settled me down a little bit. And, and what, you know, when you have that kind of experience, you get all sort of worked up. Yeah, and you might and expect something I, tomorrow. Yeah, and it, it just settled me down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. put me sort of, I was already on the right track. I was already, you know, the Lord had me where he had me. Yeah. And um, yeah. there was nothing really to do except to just keep doing the things that I've been called to do in that moment. Just be faithful on the daily. And um, when the time is right, you know, it'll be it'll be clear. Like, you won't have to force the issue. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually, yeah. you end up in all places to go to Bible school or seminary. Yeah. Yep. In Korea. In South Korea, yeah. How did that come about? Why Korea? Uh, I went to Korea on a whim. Oh, not too many people can say that. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, so I I basically finished my degree, uh, phys ed, mm-hmm. and I didn't land any of the jobs that I was hoping to land. And so some friends who had been to Korea, they taught English and they spent a year. They had a great time, did some travel, paid off some debt. And they're like, if you've got nothing to do, just why don't you do that? Just give it a crack. Go have an adventure for a year and then come back and do your thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I took the first job that I was offered, which was a mistake. Um, I should have held out a little bit longer for something better, but you know, you live and learn. Hmm. And um, I ended up in a small town, say small town, 600,000 people, but just a couple of hours south of Seoul, a little place called Jonju. And I taught English for a year. And um, I came back to Perth after a year. Um, didn't land any work that I was hoping to land again. And so three weeks later, I went back, this time to Seoul. And in that second year in Seoul, I, I landed in a really great church, a church called Onuri, and uh, they had a really strong and thriving English-speaking ministry, over a thousand people. I was going to say, you don't speak Korean, do you? So you had to uh, seek out an English-speaking church. I had to seek out an English-speaking church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my Korean's not good enough 
certainly nowhere near good enough to be able to navigate a Korean church service yeah. with any great understanding. I can pick up bits and bobs, but yeah. Um, so it landed in this English ministry that had a thousand plus people. Oh wow! And it was a really great environment for me. And it was during that second year that it felt like I just need to stay here. Oh wow! I I, I found a place that I can call home for a while. So interestingly, you even though you're from the UK and raised in Perth, mm-hmm. you yep. felt most at home spiritually at that time in a church in Korea. Yeah, full of Koreans, Korean Americans, Korean Australians, a lot of U.S. military people. Oh, okay. Teachers in international schools. Talk about multicultural. Yeah, well, this particular church had about, well, they must have had over a dozen ministries in various languages. So if you showed up to this church on a Sunday, like this, it's a, it's a proper mega church. So like Korea is well known for its mega churches, and this was among them. But mm-hmm. they had ministries for Arab speaking peoples. They had ministries for people from the Philippines. Oh wow! Uh, they had a Japanese ministry, Russian, yeah. Mandarin. Uh, I mean, you you name it. This was a church that had a global perspective and saw a need to serve the various international communities that had called Seoul home, but you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, and you felt um, comfortable there. Massively comfortable. I loved mm. it. Um, like, what, what did you like even, about it so much? Uh, I just loved Seoul. I, I loved the city. Uh, Seoul is a city on an epic scale. Um, I love the vibe of the place. Um, I actually really love Korean culture generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, you think you've got it worked out, then it finds a way to surprise you. Mm. Um, it, I found that it was a place where, like, n- not everyone enjoys it. And I had people, you know, I knew people who left halfway through there employment contracts and just had to get out but i just found it a really dynamic and interesting place to be and i'd made some incredible friends and i just wanted to hang out with them yeah so, well and well, so was the place to do it you know what i'm going to ask you was one of the persons that you've met becky your future wife or is she not in the story yet she's not in the story yet okay um but she's not far Okay, we're going to have to stop it right there because we've run out of time for this first part of Eric Scatterbo's chat with Pastor David Shaw. We invite you to join us again next time when we'll hear how David eventually meets his wife Becky in South Korea and more about those racist comments he received after he posted a photo of his mixed-race family online. That's all coming up next time. But before we end today, I just wanted to repeat the Bible verse that David mentioned earlier in response to racism. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 that says, You as believers are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation. All this is so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. So, within the body of Christ, we are all one race, and that's what's most important to God, and should be what's most important to us also. Well, thank you for joining us for part one of David Shaw's story and comments. Until next time, when we'll hear part two, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I put that picture out as an act of solidarity with another pastor based in the US who... um, was responding to a particular person who had suggested that if you have different colored children in your family, you're not fit for pastoral ministry. And so that's when it sort of blew up and a few people retweeted 
the picture of my family with ill intent and then I read through maybe the first half a dozen comments and I could just see the pile on beginning. Pastor David Shaw posted a photo of his mixed race family online and was surprised to see complete strangers from overseas respond with racist comments. David joins us once again to share more of how he responded to those comments and more of his and his family's story. It's all coming up next time. The Story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 